0: You're
1: listening to The Voice. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to The Voice on the radio. And today is the last Friday of February. I hope everybody is doing well. And if you're listening to the future, I hope you are doing well whenever you're listening uh, to this show and uh, this is Dashan by the way and uh, I'm with uh, my good friend uh, Anita. Uh, how are you, Anita?
2: I'm well, Dashan. Thank you for having me in your episode.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, how, how's your week going so far? Have you been enjoying the
2: summer vibes? <laughs> yeah,
1: indeed. The hotness of February like no other.
2: Yeah, it's insane. Huh? Uh, I have been enjoying it, yeah, a lot. It, it, I have to say it warms up my heart, really, like yeah. it, you just wake up in the morning and you have a whole new purpose. Just going to the library is so much more exciting when the sun is shining and you don't have to wear a, a coat or, well, yeah, maybe a coat, but a lighter coat. Mm-hmm. Definitely lighter coat than the one I was wearing two weeks ago. For sure. In Belgium, uh, weather is a bit crazy, isn't it?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, it seems to me a, a clear sign of climate change as well.
2: <laughs> Don't start there, please. Okay, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, indeed, it's absolutely messed up um, what y- we're experiencing, I think, in terms of the temperature.
1: Right, Uh, however, uh, climate change is not uh, our topic today. Uh, Our topic today is another quite time relevant issue for us now. Uh, As we all know that uh, the military uh, in uh, Myanmar just had their second coup d'etat since they came to power in 1962. And this coup d'etat completely overturned the decade long uh, liberalization of the country. Uh, And as a result, Aung San Suu Kyi and her government uh, was overthrown. And uh, for today's show, I will interview uh, a journalist who work, who is based in Hong Kong and work to cover uh, issues in Myanmar and specifically about uh, why buying and human trafficking from Myanmar to China. Uh, wow, that's
2: super interesting.
1: Right. Uh, and uh, Anita, do you know uh, much about uh, uh, Myanmar or formerly known as Burma?
2: Um, I, uh, I haven't never been there, unfortunately, but I've heard about it. Uh, I've heard travel stories, mm-hmm. namely my mom's travel stories. Uh, but it really struck me, her story about Burma, actually. Because when I asked her once, um, what was the best place you ever... Been, like, the, the the travel, the trip, you would always remember, she mentioned Myanmar right away. Mm-hmm. And when she went, she was really young. I think she was, like, our age, 25 or so. And she mentioned that, well, the, the military was absolutely the... How do you say? Dominating and just... all everywhere Uh, yeah everywhere and she remembers like so many um military checkpoints checkpoints but also just like military work uh, walking on the streets yeah yeah she had never seen such a militarized country Mm -hmm. and even like the trap the trips were were limited you had to uh, follow a very specific journey or path Mm -hmm. somehow so you could only go to certain places certain attractions And so I thought that was really interesting. And I think she even needed like an invitation from someone living there or like a recommendation. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting and it always stayed with me. Uh, It's a place that just based on this story, I, I would really enjoy, um, discovering more about it Mm -hmm. and you, it's a neighboring country.
1: Right. Indeed. Um, and, uh, for the last couple of years, this phenomenon of buying a uh, wife and uh, human trafficking, uh, especially from East Asian countries, Southeast Asian countries to China, has been uh, in the in the in the air. Because before this practice was also going on, but it's mainly towards uh, rich 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 Asian countries such as Singapore or Taiwan. And now since China is more powerful and China has probably more need uh, of this kind of uh, practice because of uh, one child policy, at the same time being uh, a local hegemony uh, in terms of trade and uh, commerce.
2: Mm-hmm. But I don't want to spoil the interview that's coming up. Mm-hmm. But just why do you say um, the uh, China probably needs it more, like because of child policy?
1: So uh, so so statistically speaking, uh, due to one child policy, the gender inequality uh, of the population has been unnatural and very extreme, right? So mm-hmm. they have estimated there would be. I don't know, let's say, I don't know how many uh, more men than women, but there's a lot of oh, them, okay. right? And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a problem uh, for, the, for the society. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then due to the lack of uh, regulation in those countries, such as in Myanmar, and there's a lot of border issues, mm-hmm. this type of practice become very uh, frequent. And then it puts the woman from those countries very in a very vulnerable position. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's very really interesting phenomenon.
1: Right. Um. So, right. Um. But that's uh for the for the main part of the show. However, uh, let me uh, introduce you to the show by uh, playing you a song. Um. I I discovered uh Burmese music, uh. A, uh, for, for the sake of this show and they have really booming exciting uh, uh indie music there and the song that i'm gonna play to you is in reggae style and it is it is played by uh catch the white dove the song is called rastafarians from
3: burma enjoy hey low welcome to the good line is the voice of, of singing rastafarians from burma Majorly ruled by the soldier seen while powerful men she governor bombocrati um, Rastafarians from by my jump we are cash di Rastafarians from Bama. Say so We ran like a few today. A long time ago, have you ever governed by our government? Like asking people to pay, but they are owned. Selling natural resources for your own good. Killing people with the power for a powerful power. Oh, oh. People are going to run a fight in gone. Now, Mama, Papa, get your children starving and. The government yeah. who wanna play in the role of mr president oh oh a oh, leap people say so we oh, want oh. no n- no more soldier oh, than oh. they locking in the cages all oh, oh, the white men oh. and your stars oh we don't even know what is part of justice man it's the law man it's justice oh oh as a big gun dealer oh, said oh, the biggest oh. of the fish are sure's about that the small one I'm gonna get by oh, oh, indeed oh. With a lot of child to Destroying people, my sons is of a one oh, oh, The milwa in here is more oh, than something oh, Here oh, they oh, gonna come and catch me oh, by Singing it for sure and from Bama We cast a white a Rastafarians from Bama We go to the civic but my brothers and my sisters, they be in a refugee for a long time ago. For a long, long ago.
1: Welcome back. The song you just listened to is uh, Rastafarians from Burma by this uh, Burmanese band called Catch the White Dove. And uh, as you can hear from the lyrics, uh, it tells the the story of this nation uh, in the style of reggae. And uh, I think this song is perfect for us to introduce uh, today's uh, topic, um, uh, which is Burma and more specifically is uh, human trafficking uh, that is happening in Burma. And uh, let me just give uh, all of you a brief introduction or a summary of the, the state of Burma uh, as we now have it. So Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, become independent from the British and Japanese occupation after Second World War. Following the coup d'etat in 1962, it became a military dictatorship controlled by Tatmadaw, the armed force of Myanmar. A gradual liberalization began in 2011, which led to free elections in 2015 and the installation of a new government led by veteran opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi the following year. However, Myanmar had gained the international spotlight since August 2017 due to an army operation against alleged terrorists in uh, Rakhine state, which has driven more than half a million Muslim uh, Rohingyas into internal displacement or to neighboring countries such as Bangladesh. More recently, in February 2021, Aung San Suu Kyi and her government were overthrown in another coup d'etat led by the Tatmadaw. So the military dictatorship, its poor economic management, human rights abuse and armed ethnical conflict had led many people in Myanmar vulnerable to human trafficking. Today, I'm honored to speak to Graham, a journalist who had investigated the issue, this issue in Myanmar from 2019, to talk about trafficked brides of Kachin people in Myanmar to China. Graham, welcome to the show. Hi Dasha, thanks for welcoming me in. Okay, and uh, I'm I'm very um, uh, honored to speak to you uh, about about this topic. And uh, I mean, as we all know, now it's uh, in February and uh, Burma was, uh, the, the news about uh, Myanmar is all over the place. Um, but I want to kind of have a smaller perspective to talk about more kind of individual sufferings that is going on at the backdrop of this uh, national, uh, political drama. Okay, Uh, Graham, you have been to uh, the capital city of Kachin State. Uh, What is it called?
4: Uh, Mechina, I think that's the correct pronunciation. Right. I'm I'm sure someone will correct us if we we got it wrong.
1: Yes, please uh, excuse us. So yes, so you have been to uh, Mechina in 2018 and 2019 uh, to talk to the human trafficking uh, victims. so can you explain to our re- listeners uh, briefly, what is the political situation of this regime in terms of the relation between the Kachin state, which is a part of uh, Myanmar uh, and the, the Burmese authority. Um, and why there are incentives to go to China and why there is no effective state intervention to protect those women.
4: Well, I'll I'll start with the the context first. So Kachin State is home to the Kachin people. And probably people is not the, the correct word. The Kachin are actually a series of clans who have strong marriage traditions that have kept them connected over the centuries. But during the formation of Myanmar, after the... Colonial period, uh, and across the 20th century, there was conflict between the Kachin people and the Bamar in the south. And for I think it's about in the 1960s till about uh, 1994, there they had one set of fighting which was concluded, and the Kachin Independence Organization, which led the resistance against the the Tatmadaw, they were allowed to govern Kachin state, mm-hmm. and then suddenly in 2011, what happened was the Tatmadaw launched an offensive on Kachin state, and it it, it plunged the, the northern state into this area of complete chaos. Right. I, I met with people who lived in internal displacement camps in Michina, and they described they were hit by heavy shelling. Villages were just decimated mm. over during the course of this offensive. And over the years, well, at first they they had to drop. They could only take what they had. They abandoned their homes and they gradually moved closer and closer to Michina into these camps where they were able to stay safe. But they had left a lot of their livelihood behind. I see. And sorry, I... Uh, yeah, and uh, uh,
1: what is the goal of the Tatmado? So Tatmadaw is the armed uh, force of uh, Myanmar. What is the goal of this offensive against the Kachin State?
4: Uh, do you think? Well, there's sort of some speculation, uh, but I think the main emphasis is on Kachin State's resources. It has a lot of mining operations there. The land is valuable, so. It's uh, for a lot of the Tatmadaw, it's a chance to keep funding both the general's lifestyle and the greater military machine of the Tatmadaw across Myanmar. I see.
1: Okay. So so all those uh, turbulence left people of the Kachin state very vulnerable and economically has no pros- prosperity. Yes. And so would you say the, the economic advantage to go to work elsewhere is the major
4: reason why they would want to leave. Well there are very vulnerable people right now and especially these people in the internal displacement camps. Uh, the, I think the most recent figures put it at about a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. in that area are internally displaced. I see. So in, a, in And it varies, the people that end up in China, the methods and the reasons vary, but mm-hmm. from some of the women I met who were trafficked, there were similar themes, and usually they would be approached by a broker yeah. who would offer to help them find employment in China, because the wages would be better if they, even a job such as washing dishes in a restaurant in Yunnan province would be significantly better paying than anything that they could find in Keqing state. Mm. And this also happened to young men, but um, a lot more of the details focus on what happened to the women. And so a lot of these women would take the the, they would trust the advice of these brokers yeah. And they would then cross the border mm-hmm. illegally mm-hmm. and they would then find themselves isolated, trapped. If they had documents, those documents would be taken from them and they would be forced to marry a Chinese man mm-hmm. without any, yeah. And a right. lot of the emphasis for this was that The people who were buying these women wanted their wanted them to have children uh, Mm -hmm. because the the strict expectations of uh, on Chinese men that they have to have these fat they have to have uh, at least a son to carry on the legacy. Yes, Uh, and in fact, in some cases, women were sold on after they'd given the fathers a child. They were sold on, I think, to. To get married with another man, yes, it, this oh. happened in certain cases. There was a there was a report from Human Rights Watch in two thousand nineteen that talked about this, and oh. they mentioned that younger women were prioritized because they were seen as being able to have babies more safely, and there would be less complications. Whereas older women were deemed less valuable, which is is quite brutal.
1: Right. Okay. So uh, I guess just to follow up. Uh, why so? Yunnan Province is the border border province from uh, uh, between Burma and between Myanmar and China, right? Mm. And uh, so, why isn't there effective state intervention, either
4: from Myanmar or from China? Well, this is where it gets complicated. Mm. Is that there's not really a strict border in this area Mm -hmm. partly because the some of this territory is held by the Kaching independence army who is part of the Kaching independence organization and they are still building a lot of their own infrastructure so there's not a very large police force and it's very hard to patrol this border the other issue is that myanmar the Myanmar, as I said statewide or federal police is not really equipped to deal with this level of trafficking. And I met with an activist who actually goes out and she tries to rescue some of these women or track down these women who get trafficked. And they, they found that a lot of the times on the Myanmar side of the border, police just didn't have the resources or didn't have the will to go after these traffickers. And it was also quite difficult on the side of the Chinese border, sorry, on the Chinese border, because it was, you could sometimes report this knowledge and it might be hard for Chinese police force to follow up. I know that they, they did say that they have tried to reparate women. But again, there's also the issue for the the rural Chinese police force that they're also not equipped to handle this challenge. And there's still an emphasis that um, what goes on in a family is a private affair. It's not things like domestic violence and such aren't always seen as, they're not seen as something that the police have jurisdiction over. It's seen as a private matter. Right,
1: okay. So you're saying it's both in, to some extent unable but also unwilling yes okay i see um and uh well maybe we can talk more about um uh, what kind of women are more likely to be the target of those uh brokers and uh how how would one tell the difference i mean for for those uh women in kachin state for example i mean it if they want to go out and find a job, how would they able to tell the difference between a real uh, broker who offers jobs and
4: uh, a trafficker? I think that's that's actually the hard question that I, I was struggling to think of a good answer for, because the issue is that a lot of these brokers come in different uh, guises. A lot of this is about informal connections. There's not really a lot of legal ways and I've met people who were even tricked by members of their own family and sold Mm -hmm. I, I knew one woman who she was in fact tricked by her own aunt and sold and when she returned she still had to share a you know live in the same community as her aunt who sold her and another incident where I met uh, the head of an NGO, in the, not sorry, not the head of, a spokesperson for an NGO also in Kachin state. She talked about how traffickers can be very clever and they will use local, uh, s- respected figures in, in the local community to mm-hmm. vouch for them. And in certain cases they might what they might do is they might approach a family directly and say, "I am a husband. I'm sorry. I'm a, a man looking to find a wife. If I pay a dowry to you,
5: yeah. could I
4: marry this woman?" Mm-hmm. And because of the more traditional structure in which women do not really get a choice, they may in fact be technically sold to this man, who will then sell them to somebody else in Yunnan.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm.
4: Wow. It's a very it's a very complicated system. There are so many different approaches that traffickers can take, yeah. and it, it's it therefore the the women who are most vulnerable. This 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 part came from a it was a John Hopkins report. I think it was maybe two thousand eighteen mm-hmm. that talked about uh, trafficking in northern Myanmar to China and. They they estimated that the most vulnerable were women who were particularly from rural parts of Kachin state mm-hmm. uh, who. Didn't have strong education backgrounds, and so they were less likely to discern uh, the risks. And mm-hmm. maybe even the. What information they were giving that might be false. Right. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay,
1: so, well, let's um, maybe take an intermission uh, after uh, those um, uh, answers, uh, because after the intermission, I would like to take a more personal take um, to talk about uh, your experience uh, with those women, uh, not only kind of seeing them as some uh, phenomenon that is happening somewhere, but rather as a as a relation that a journalist would have towards uh, the participants. Okay, we'll take uh, uh, we'll listen to another song by uh, this Burmanese, uh post-punk indie band called uh, Side Effect, and the song is called Ei Seba and uh, enjoy. Welcome back. And uh, the song you have listened to is AC Bar um, by the indie band uh, Side Effect. Uh, So for me, it's a a rather soothing uh, and quite uh, melancholic uh, song, which seems uh, fitting to our uh, topic today. So um, Graham, and I want to ask you about uh, your experience of interviewing the victims. I, I imagine it must be difficult for them to talk about those traumatic experiences and even for you to, to listen to. Um, how, how did you uh, approach them? Why did they agree to be interviewed? And uh, how did you do, what did you do to establish trust? Well,
4: I first met them through a- Another friend who agreed to work with me and they they traveled from the the camp they were staying to come and meet me and it was it was a difficult journey and the the first obstacle we had in connecting with them was that there was a language barrier mm-hmm. and that that's already a, a problem that it's and so I tried to strike up conversation before the interview. And the joke that uh, my friend and I had was that we 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 were talking about which one of us looks older. And we'd asked them to decide and them to vote, and we joked about how, oh no, I obviously look younger, look at my complexion. Yeah. And it was it was silly. It was a very Sort of silly bit of humor mm-hmm. but it got them to, to sort of see us as people yeah and to try and ease it because the, the sad truth is you're going to talk about a very uncomfortable subject and there's no easy way of doing it mm-hmm. but you can try with little things to sort of minimize the pressure on them. and the other thing was we we made sure that before each interview officially started that we we set boundaries and said to them Mm -hmm. this interview is not necessary this you can stop at any time Mm -hmm. you're you're not you're not obliged to you know talk about this if you don't want to we we can we can work around that that's and if then we said to them to emphasize that if you say stop we stop and we're done Mm
5: -hmm.
4: and i i was very very amazed that they they all did finish the interviews they they did and it was it's hard to when you don't have a frame of reference for what they're going through, yes. it, it's a difficult thing to, I don't know, I, how to connect with them in this very painful moment. And mm-hmm. there were times where I felt guilty for yes. asking them to talk about this. There was, in, in one incident, uh, we'll, we'll call her Maria. Yeah. She uh, had a very painful moment that she was trying to relay, and she asked to leave the room for a break because she didn't she didn't want to be there when it was translated to me what had happened. Mm, wow. And it was it. I I can say this because we we've, we've we've kept her name out of the. We changed the names mm-hmm. in every account that I've written. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she she talked about having a fear of the dark, and when my my friend asked why she had a fear of the dark, she said because that was when my husband in Yunnan would come home. Mm-hmm. I see. And it it, it it how do you connect to that? How do you tell someone that you know? How do yeah. you make them feel better when they've they've had such a painful experience?
1: So I guess then the question is uh, twofold. So what, what motivates those women to, to speak to you uh, and then what uh, motivates you to speak to them? Maybe you can, yeah, say something.
4: I think it was hard to, for, for the women, it, it was, a lot of it was thanks to my friend, sort of working with them and encouraging them to speak, they were real. My my friend was very important to that. I I wouldn't have been able to convince them to talk with me otherwise. They were a sympathetic voice because there's a lot of stigma that they face for this experience. Yes, and they, the free women I met, had internalized it quite heavily they they uh, I remember it was I think it was Martha uh, I if you just and she asked me i oh, sorry it was Mary I apologize it was Mary and she was she asked me why why do journalists always want to hear this why can't you leave us why can't that. you just, I, I, I didn't really know what to say. I felt really guilty that I had dragged her all this way mm-hmm. to relay this. And so what we did to try and at least make it right was that we, we after we'd done the interviews, we went and got them provisions of so medicine, food, and some toys for the children. Uh, because i i don't know if they got any closure out of the experience putting it bluntly Uh but at least we we gave them something okay sorry that's a very cynical answer uh but i i don't want to lie to you and say that they you know that this is some big healing moment it's it it was painful for them and i appreciate that they came to see me and speak with me
1: yeah of course and i'd imagine the, the, this sense of, sense of guilt is intrinsic to this job of, of being a journalist, especially covering those issues. Um, then I guess I want to ask uh, about you as a journalist. Um, being a, a British national yourself, um, a white male, you graduated from elite universities. Uh, as you said, you don't have a frame of reference to connect with those women, um, yet you want to, you care for those women, and you want to write for them so the readers can sympathize with with them. Um, but what this, what what does this experience mean to you then, as a journalist?
4: The reason I like to meet with people and learn about these experiences. I say like that's a that's a terrible word. The reason I want to mm-hmm. is because their experiences are so far removed from anything I've known in my life. Yeah. I grew up very happy. I never missed a meal in my life. Yeah. I've had clean drinking water. I've I've never worried about I've had minor stresses, but minor stresses is nothing compared to what these women have been through, and it it's, I i, I don't know if, if I could give you a very grand answer for why, but I, I think it's because their experiences are so far removed from anything that any of us back home have ever known,
5: mm-hmm.
4: that it drives me to learn more. I see. Okay,
1: um, and based on that, uh, I'm gonna quote uh, a statement you you wrote uh, in your kind of field notes. So you said, I quote, journalism can either be the noblest or lowest of professions. Um, maybe you can say more about when is it the noblest and when
4: is it the lowest. That's this this will probably future employers might judge me by these words, but journalism is. At, at, its, very, at its very best, it's it's about informing people, mm-hmm. but it can still be how to put it. Starting over sorry. it. It you are seeing a lot of people at their worst. And, I, yeah, when you're seeing people at your worst, you can feel like you're in some way exploiting this. And media itself is, we now live in a world where media is constant and we're forever chasing new information. We're obsessed with being informed to the point now where we seek out so many sources we 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 want to know information minute by minute not hour by hour Mm -hmm. and that kind of drive can can sometimes be lacking in sympathy for the people who are caught up in these huge events Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like mary said you know why does everyone keep pulling me out to to have this conversation, why can't I be left alone?
5: Mm -hmm.
4: And you do question. I know that on one hand, this story is important and hopefully people will act after knowing of it. But at the same time, I do respect that people Sometimes just need that peace and that privacy that of course yes. media does not always provide.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, would you say journalism can be noble when the story it tells is true and it brings sympathy, uh, connects the reader to the to the experience of
4: those victims? I think it 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 can be noble. But it it can still be difficult for the people in those stories. It, yes, it, mm-hmm. it you know it, it's not uh, it's never a hundred percent pure. There's there's always going to be that difficulty that mm-hmm. you're seeing people at their worst and telling mm-hmm. a very difficult story.
1: Right. Um, okay. So I think we can uh, uh, draw our interview to a uh, conclusion. And I want to uh, bring up uh, a fellow Brit of yours, uh, a, fellow, uh, a fellow journalist who also wrote about Burma and about people who have suffered colonial and imperial rule. And I'm thinking of uh, George Orwell. And uh, yeah, yeah we, we used to talk about him.
4: Uh, uh, you, you, I, yeah. Sir. I read Burmese Diaries, it's a, it is a, an incredible book. It, it really made me, It, it was, I read it after I came back from Myanmar and it was it was a fascinating read. Sorry, I, I interrupted you
1: there. No, 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 you're, you're, you're right indeed. So uh, for, for our listeners, uh, uh, George Orwell uh, famously wrote uh, uh, 1984 and that's his last novel. And uh, however, he was an imperial officer Working for the uh, British uh, uh, Indian company, uh, uh, well, the B- British uh, police force uh, in Burma, and his first novel is uh, Burmanese Days," right? Sorry, days. I got. Yeah. diaries. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, that's all right. So, and uh, I, I, I guess using him as a as a yardstick as this standard of a conscience of a of a, of a journalist and of a writer. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, to follow up something that you have said already, what is your criticism of the way news is done now? And what advice would you give to readers who are disillusioned by this kind of news and they're disillusioned by this kind of post-truth uh, sentiment people have, again, uh, towards uh, stories?
4: I, I probably have a very controversial opinion i don't i don't think there was what we would call a truth era Mm -hmm. i i think there was always clashes of different narratives in media before the the 21st century Mm -hmm. it's just that with the the power of the internet the speed of that clash has sped up infinitely it information spreads so rapidly now a story can develop in minutes and I, I th- things like fake news existed long before the internet you know, mm-hmm. you, you look at various events in, in history especially in modern history fake news was a big instigator in certain political events you know um, there was I remember if you look at the Islamic revolution, there was rumors about what they called the cinema Rex fire. Mm-hmm. And people believed widely that this was something that was instigated by the the monarch.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, there's also what they um, as, as there was a, a manual written a fa- it was it was a disinformation campaign mm-hmm. uh, against Judaism. Yeah, and it uh, it was it was written in the, the I think it's the 1910s, called the Elder Protocol of Zion's, and that was published in a imperial pro-imperial Russian newspaper in mm-hmm. a series, or if you look at even British newspapers in the 1920s, and they had very strong opinions against uh, multiracial marriage, mm-hmm. so we've had this battle for a very long time hmm it's just that with the speed of the internet we're struggling now to keep pace with it and right. it's it there's a huge impact i think that we so, um, so i suppose sorry
1: yeah go on and and what 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 would be the takeaway that you want to give to our listeners
4: i i think that we have to read the news broadly and more deeply and that that Probably sounds quite a generic thing to say but what I mean is when we read more broadly I would advise people to always read more than one s- newspaper or look at more than one source when it comes to an event mm-hmm. so so that you can check to see if what one paper says is correct and also to because there's always a certain level of bias whether it's an academic paper All the way to a newspaper so you you should always look at an event broadly to try and understand different perspectives right and then the other aspect is also when i say in depth try to understand why a certain event is being portrayed that way Mm -hmm. Uh, because if we one of the the, the dis- academic disciplines I've always had a love and respect for is history.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And when we look at primary sources in history, you know, these court documents uh, of long dead kings and their scribes, mm-hmm. we we think about what's the context for these remarks. We don't define a whole historical era based on these limited sources that we have. We dig deeper. That's that's something that history has always been a very, a very powerful tool is that there's a willingness to go deeper. And that's, yeah, I think that's my, my catch-all is that we read broadly and try, try and break these information bubbles that we have. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's always a, certain events that are objectively fact, but also look at how those objective facts are used in an event to right. gain perspective. That's Great. I, I always I annoy my girlfriend. You know, she'll say to me, "Oh, did you hear about this?" And I said, "Oh, who wrote that?" Right. Right. And you know. Yes. It, yes. Yes. You know, ask the the why question, and eventually you'll find enough answers. I think.
1: That's that's wonderful. That's a really mm-hmm. good uh, uh, end remark uh, for our interview. And I I really want to thank you again, Graham, for consenting to do this interview with, with me. I enjoyed
4: it uh, very much. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you. again, buddy. I really miss these chats. So. Good Thank to you. hear you.
1: Right, uh, indeed. So um, I will play another song to end uh, this segment. This song is uh, played by the Rebel Riot, uh, this punk band from Myanmar. And this song is called One Day. The song is released after the coup d'etat uh, of this year. So it is a call for uh, public participation and uh, overturning of the, uh, um, this um, military authoritarian uh, rule. And I want to uh, share this song with, uh, with our listeners and really carry the spirit that those uh, um, young people uh, in Myanmar now is struggling to express. Um, Please enjoy. The song is called One Day. Welcome back, Uh, the song you just listened to is One Day. This song is by the Rebel Riot and I want to play this song because the song is released after the coup d'etat of February 2021. And I hope this song can bring the unity and the spirit of the citizens of uh, Myanmar and uh, really share it with uh, everybody across the globe who is supporting uh, their um, rebellion against the military uh, repression. And uh, Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode and uh, thank you, Anita, for being here again with me.
2: Yeah, thank you. And I will also take um, one second to do do a little spoiler for next week Mm -hmm. to tell our listeners what we have in store we have a special we're airing a special episode uh, next week um in the context of the think abroad week that's from 1st to 6th of march and it's organized by loco and loco international so it's a fun week and each day there will be a different theme so we will take uh, over for the music uh team day with wow. our shows it's going to be a lot about music of course Mm -hmm. which is what radio is for so that's nice Mm -hmm. and uh, indeed like the the week itself it means it's meant to bring local and international students closer together by letting them explore different cultures so um, if you guys want to join or just attend to the different activities it's all online of course via the social media channels Mm -hmm. of Loco and Loco International so that's what's in store for next week
1: right and uh, of course, as usual, if you want to find our articles, you can uh, look for our website, thevoiceluven.be, or find our Facebook, uh, The Voice, and the Instagram page. And you can always listen to this uh, show again on Spotify or Mixcloud. Uh, on that note, I want to thank you again and wish you a good week. We will end our episode by playing you another song a promotional song uh, by Burmese musicians for the upcoming election of 2020. And the song is called Rock Your Vote. Enjoy. (laughs)
0: I don't get Rock your ball, I go to the rainbow, rock it, baby. Rock your ball. You got words think to do it i my I'm going to I'm a so so oh. the you go I to do it. I'm yet, now I'm the sitting here alone. Still, you don't let go. Let's I'ma name she down. On the G, on the on the on the Color, the on the G, my let the and I I'm I Hey, the name It's got 回眸多长的鸡翅咱们来嘛啦 Rock your you know that the phone's not big, but they're boring on the call. And you, little shoe, more than baby. 说我哪看看没了 Rock your boat, I don't want to die. 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 Rock your boat, I don't to you I not 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 rock it baby, rock